Welcome to the Reform Rookie Podcast. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And so? Worthy vicar, do we find anything here of relics? By faith man lives and is made righteous, not by what he does for himself. Be it adoration of relics, singing of masses, pilgrimages to Rome, purchase of pardon for his sins, but by faith in what God has done for him already through his son. Dr. Martin, if you leave the Christian to live only by faith, if you sweep away all good works, all these glorious things you dismiss as mere crutches, what will you put in their place? Christ. Man only needs Jesus Christ. Okay, so, as I said, we are still in Leviticus 4, and we'll see how far we get today. We might finish it off, we might not, depends how the conversation goes, depends on maybe some of your questions and comments. I feel as we've gone through this, I hope it's been useful, hope it's been helpful. Um, there might be some things that we don't necessarily agree with, with our brother Gary North, Um there might be some things that I've said that you don't necessarily agree with. Um, I do hope, first and foremost, that we are just realizing just how deep the scriptures are, just how much stuff is there that we would normally read over and and just think, oh, it has no application to today. That's just something from back then. It's just it's a history lesson uh, when it's really so much more than that. So I, I hope that's being helpful, and I, I hope as we've discussed these things, it's, it's helping you to think more when you're reading the scriptures but as we discuss it we can um, again if you have questions if you have comments uh, I'm always uh, willing to hear them so we can think through these things as I was uh, me and Lawrence were talking earlier and just realizing just how often these conversations are not taking place so you have someone who's like Gary North who's brilliant in his own right but we're not necessarily going to agree with everything he he comes out with you know, we have some differing opinions on theology in regards to covenant theology. He's a Presbyterian, we're Reformed Baptist. Um, but he's putting stuff out there that really no one else, not many people anyway, are discussing. And so we're still trying to wrestle through and flesh these things out. And so the conversations are beneficial. They get us thinking. Just like I hope you're uh, going to Sunday school. I hope you're listening to the recordings if you're not. Um, for what Lawrence is sharing uh, at Hope Reformed Baptist on Sunday mornings. That stuff is tremendously uh, useful in getting us to think in ways many times we're not taught how to think. So hopefully this is all beneficial. All that aside, <laughs> moving on to the next uh, topic. I'm not going to bother asking you if anyone remembers where we were at <laughs> three weeks ago or uh, four weeks ago. Um, we're just going to jump into it. We were talking about um, the church and its place in society. Um, we were talking about uh, the state and it's the church is a monopoly in its own sense and mentioned that you know the tithe is one of those things that um, shows the importance of the church and society it's um, one of those things where God actually mandates in his law how the church is supposed to be financed um, via the tithe and he doesn't do that for any other organization um, Samuel had told the people that the king would require up to 10% and that would be slavery. Um, 
the law doesn't state that the king must take 10% or more as we have nowadays. Um, so it says, uh, Gary North says, it's grounded legally on the principle of judicial representation before God's heavenly throne. Um, it's grounded on the principle of sacramental boundaries. Uh, the church is not to be financed by price competition with salvation sold to the highest bidder because it's a monopoly. He says the state is also, um, not also, the state is an agency of uh, physical life and death. It's a quasi-priestly function, and so it has the responsibility of national defense, protection against domestic violence and fraud. He says the state also is not to sell justice to the highest bidder, for it is a monopoly. It's a monopoly of violence, but it's a monopoly. Um, and then he, he talked about some other things. In regards to the sacrifices, as we've talked about, you know, if, if the priest sins unintentionally, he has to um, provide a bull for a sacrifice. If the whole congregation sins unintentionally, they have to provide a bull for a sacrifice. If a leader, a ruler, um, sins unintentionally, he has to provide a male goat. Right? If, if a common person um, sins unintentionally, you know, a, a female or possibly a lower value sacrifice, depending on their economic situation. But it also goes to show the severity, the danger of the sin, and um, how it impacts all of society. And what Gary North says is, uh, in the opinion of modern man, a priest possesses far less authority than a political ruler does. Uh, he says the priest doesn't exercise comparable visible power, and modern humanism is overwhelmingly a power religion. I'm pausing because I know that those cars <laughs> actually are picked up by the Bluetooth. So um, he says the state is visibly the most powerful single institution in modern society. Because of this concentration of visible power, the indispensable sacraments for modern man are political, the most basic of which is the exercise of the franchise, voting, uh, to provide legitimacy to the state. The church, in contrast, has little visible power. The suggestion that an e ecclesiastical priest could somehow commit a private sin that might in some way bring those under his authority into danger, assuming this sin rem remains exclusively private, would be regarded as preposterous. It would not be a topic fit for a serious public discussion. Um, does that make sense? We would look at um, the state and if something is wrong in the state as having a much more severe impact on a nation than if something's happening in the church, right? If, if those, and specifically as we think about the Old Covenant, but there is carryover to this today. Um, judgment begins with the household of God, right? We, that's a New Testament uh, saying. That's a, that's a New Testament scripture. So we understand that. In the Old Testament, we see that if a priest would sin, he could bring guilt on the whole congregation. He would bring God's sanctions on the whole congregation. Where So his sacrifice is a bull where a leader would bring something of lesser value. In the world's eyes, that's nonsense. They don't care what the church does. You know, we're talking about myths. <laughs> and there is such a thing as true myth, but most of the time we think of what would be false. It's just exaggeration. It's, you know, stories. Um, but there is such a thing as true myth. But they would just look at that guy. That's all nonsense. There is no God who is issuing sanctions. He's not judging. And so they don't care what the church does or doesn't do. Um, 
they're worried about what's happening in the state. Um, but we do see what what does the scriptures tell us? Judgment begins at the household of God. And if um, someone want to share that rest of that verse, um, if the righteous. Oh, I should have wrote that down. Uh, Don't want to help me out? <laughs> Pull that up. If the righteous flourish. Hold on. It's first Peter four seventeen. Thank you. This is what happens. If I don't take notes, I blank on all the addresses. Um. <laughs> For it is a time for judgment to begin at the household of God, and if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Right? Um, judgment does begin at the household of God. God does purge his church. Uh, he deals with those um, tares among the wheat. Um, uh, we see that in, in Revelation. We talk of... We, we see the warning of losing your lampstand, of, of Christ coming against. He's talking about coming against the church to judge. All right, um, What will happen to those who have no regard for God, who have no relationship uh, to God? We should consider the seriousness of this. The nation of Israel, under the Old Covenant, was a, a theocratic uh, nation. And there is a sense in which every nation is a theocracy <laughs> every nation uh holds to god's law right god's rule it's a question of who is the god of the nation you know who is the god of our nation in man's eyes <laughs> we're a democracy right we are demas the people right yeah. it's the rule of the people um and whatever their um we have blasphemy laws we've talked about this in, in other places you know, what are the blasphemy laws of today to say anything against homosexuality or to say anything against, you know, Black Lives Matter? If you try to bring God's word to bear, if it contradicts or conflicts with the, um, the ruling sentiment of the day, blasphemy, right? Hate speech, <laughs> fines and jail for you. Um, and so... But God brings actual sanctions. <laughs> you know, the, the state can throw you in jail. The state can take um, your property. Um, the state can take your life. <laughs> God can take everything. He takes. He can take body and soul and cast both into hell. You know, God can bring a plague on a nation. He can bring a virus on a nation. He can um, raise up enemies without, within. And, and he does. And so we've seen that in Israel when they have failed to keep God's law, when they fail to atone for their sins the way God has provided for, the sanctions would be poured out. Judgment would come. And the problem with our society today is that we don't think God works like that anymore. And there's nowhere in the New Testament where he says, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> he says, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, he doesn't change. He's still, you know, the, the apostles were even talking about judgment coming. Judgment coming on Jerusalem? Oh, but that's Israel. Judgment coming on Rome? Where? 
in Acts 17, Paul says that he has appointed a man. He's going to judge the world. And that's not cosmos. That's oikomene. <laughs> that's the Roman Empire. That's the world, the inhabited world as they knew it. All the world was coming for the census. <laughs> no, not the globe. Not people from China. <laughs> the, the inhabited world that they knew of. The empire as they knew it. Um, and Paul says he's appointed a day that he's going to judge Rome. And he did. Um, so... How does this impact us today when we think about this? We don't have priests today, except that we are a royal priesthood, right? We have the priesthood of all believers, and we're Reformed Baptists. We hold to that. And so uh, discussing all sorts of fun things with uh, Lawrence earlier. You guys are going to have to come out for cigars one day. We'll have to. <laughs> or just great conversation. Um, but, but talking about that, but... Um, we do have somewhat, in terms of representation, I, I, I mentioned last time about the harm that comes on a congregation when, you know, when there's sin that's not dealt with, but we think particularly of when a, when a pastor falls from grace, right, when a pastor sins. You think about these celebrity pastors who scandalize, right, you know, they've, they've been unfaithful to their wife. And they bring reproach on the entire church, right? Because they're just like, ah, Christians, right? That's, that's them. That's all of them, right? So they bring reproach on the name of Christ and everyone who bears that name. So that's all of us. But you think about even a local congregation, and maybe the pastor's not known, you know, nationwide or worldwide. But if he falls into sin, if he fails, um, the devastation that happens to a church, church split, you know, um, people losing their faith, their their faith is shaken. All sorts of things happen when we have people who are in positions of authority, people who are representative. I mean, because the church is supposed to recognize those, right? How do we know who should be an elder, you know, who should be an office bearer of the church? Well, the church, is, we think about our own church here at Hope, um, you know, God puts the calling on someone, but the church recognizes the calling. The church nominates that, you know, the church votes that person in. But we think we have to remember what are the qualifications found in Timothy, found in Titus. Um, what is Paul's warning to young Timothy? Don't be too quick to lay hands on someone and partake of their sin, right? Their failing can impact you and the rest of the church. Um, so it should be a very serious thing, recognizing the harm uh, that can come. We know about the false brethren. We know about the false teachers, people who try to come in and, and divide and take captive weak women and all that. And they, they just rain destruction everywhere. I mean, you read through Second Peter. You read through Jude and the, the condemnation on those people. It's frightening. It's scary. Um, but we want to make sure that we're not allowing those people <laughs> to gain prominence in our church. We are responsible. Just, you know, Gather North has said the people, you know, the, the corporate body is responsible for what happens in, with their representatives. And as I've mentioned before, you know, we, we were talking about this earlier, but I've shared much earlier on, you never find a case of like where the, the leader sins, the priest sins, you know, Hophni and Phineas or you know king saul or king david where they sinned and the people were so blameless <laughs> you know they're so holy they're so righteous and they're like oh lord you know look at this wicked leader i mean when we think of um david taking the census and i, I mentioned that we um talked about that 
says the Lord was angry with the people, <laughs> and he incited David to sin. Um, and you know, another source says you know Satan came against him, but God decrees all that stuff. He works through those second causes. The people were unholy. The people were unrighteous, and so God allowed the leader to fail, to fall, uh, to do something sinful that brought sanctions on the people. Because God didn't kill David. He killed 70,000 Israelites, right? Question. I used to, like, wonder, like, why do, like, God kill, like, the people when it was David? But, like, they went along with it, too. Like, they weren't like, hey, God says you're not supposed to do that. Because wasn't it in the... Well, Joab said, you know, Joab, <laughs> Joab who was not a good guy, is like, Joab, wait, <laughs> wait. Now, I don't know if he was just like, I don't want to go around and counting everyone. <laughs> That's not the excuse that he made. No, he said, may the Lord add to that number and more. But why would you want to... Joab recognized that that was against what God had called for. God didn't call for a census. David was. It was a prideful thing. It was a vanity. It was wicked. Um, and Joab, of all people, said, I don't think we should do that. Joab just kills people on sight because he doesn't like them. They're a threat to his position. And Joab's like, I don't think this is a good idea. And David still did it. Um, but the, it says that the Lord was angry with the people. Um, the people were not being faithful. And so you, it's rare that you're going to see, but it, it might happen. <laughs> um, there's been times where someone is acting wickedly or unrighteously, and the people um, intercede, they interpose. Saul was going to kill Jonathan because of his stupid rash vow about not eating anything until he had victory on his enemies. Not the enemies of the Lord, <laughs> his enemies. Um, and the people are like, you're not going to kill Jonathan. The Lord worked victory through him. And so they they interceded in, in that moment, and we were talking about like Hezekiah, and he was calling for a Passover and calling the northern kingdom to, to come down, and the priests weren't even ready. They weren't consecrating themselves fast enough. The Levites had to help and do priestly work. Um, and the people were not exactly clean as they were coming to celebrate the Passover. Remember, God is holy. You come to him reverently. You come to him in a proper state. And they weren't doing that, but they were trying to honor the spirit of the law rather than perhaps the letter. And Hezekiah prays on behalf of the people that God would have mercy, and God heals them. So we get the impression that there were consequences, there were sanctions coming because they were failing to obey. I mean, keep in mind, even when Saul, I hope you guys are good with your Old Testament, because I'm just, just throwing stuff out there. It's all there. Uh, I hope you're familiar with some of these stories, or if it if you're not, like, oh, good. So make sure you're reading through your Old Testament because there's, there's fascinating uh, information in there. Um, but keep in mind, Saul knew something had happened. Someone had broken his vow because God didn't speak to him, <laughs> right? God was honoring the vow <laughs> in, in the sense of he wasn't giving them a word. And so Saul knew something was up, and so they cast lots to find out who had sinned, who had, because he made this vow before God, and God was holding him responsible for it. So fortunately, the people intercede and said, that's crazy, and God allowed <laughs> uh, Jonathan to live, and, and there was no further punishment. Um, the people rebuked Saul, but God was honoring the vow. So God will keep his word, um, and yet when Hezekiah prayed for the people, God healed. So. I hope that makes sense. Um, there are times where it's a little cloudy on whether, you know, sometimes the people are sinful and the leader acts sinfully and brings sanctions on the people, but God is working through that. You know, Calvin 
Uh, it's been paraphrased what Calvin said, but basically when God wants to judge a nation, he gives them wicked rulers, right? And then he judges them for what those wicked rulers do. Um, did you have your hand up? No? I don't believe it. <laughs> did someone have their hand up? Was it Maria? Did she walk away? Okay, I thought I saw someone else had their hand up. Okay. Um, does that make sense? Um, talking about if the representative sins, the people receive the guilt, they receive the sanctions. But we never see a holy people getting a bad rap because of that representative. That representative is truly a representative of those people, right? So when we look at our leaders today and we go, oh, they're so wicked. Yeah, they are. We better look in the mirror. <laughs> they didn't get that way by accident, you know? Um, we're, we are wicked people, and we are apathetic, and we are lazy, and we want people to take care of stuff for us. And so when we come to it, the best we have to offer is Trump and Hillary, <laughs> or Trump and Biden. And we go, no! <laughs> look in the mirror. <laughs> we, are, we are guilty people getting exactly what we deserve. And God is like, God is telling America what he told David, how do you want me to punish you? <laughs> right? Do you remember that when he took the census? How do you want me to punish you? <laughs> right? Do you want years of famine? <laughs> do you want months of being chased by your enemies? <laughs> or do you want, you know, some other plague? He goes, whatever the Lord, <laughs> whatever the Lord, I'd rather fall on his hands than the hands of anyone else. And so God sends a plague and kills 70,000 people. And so God gives us Trump, he gives us Hillary, he gives us Biden, and says, choose your judgment. You know, we're supposed to repent. <laughs> when, when these are our leaders, when these are our choices, we should recognize we're way off the track. <laughs> we're way off the path of holiness. We, we are under sin. Um, we're under judgment because of our sin. And this is what we're, we're faced with. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. The moral character of the assembly determines the public character of the society. As the church goes, so goes the world, right? Um, and that's something we've heard before, we should be familiar with, and it's true. Um, unfortunately, we live in a society where, well, we live in a church age in large measure, where our theology is telling us Things are supposed to get worse. <laughs> no one's supposed to honor God. And then he's going to come and sort it all out. As if Jesus didn't say, go and make disciples of all the nations. <laughs> As if Paul didn't say, and others, time and again, he's ruling and reigning now until all his enemies are made a footstool. <laughs> he's got all authority in heaven and earth. He tells us to go and make disciples, and he's going to rule and reign. It must mean that we lose, and he has to come and straighten everything out. Um, Anyway, but when you have that sort of mentality, um, you pull back from society. Why polish brass on a sinking ship, right? And so we've seen the church pull back. We've seen them refuse to be salt and light. You know, the, the most they'll do is just individual evangelism, which is wonderful, <laughs> you know, witnessing to your family, your friends, your co-workers, your schoolmates, and all that. Those are all good and wonderful things, but then telling them, but don't worry about the world. <laughs> God will sort all that out. When God speaks to 
kings. He speaks to nations. He sends his prophets to call them to repentance. Um, but what's the problem? Israel wasn't salt and light. Like God would occasionally send a prophet somewhere. But Israel as a nation more often than not failed to be a light to the Gentile nations. Um, and we are spiritual Israel. The church is the true Israel, right? The bride of Christ, the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven, right? Um, we are to be salt and light. If we are failing to be holy, if um, within the institutional church, and again, I have to credit Lawrence for helping me flesh out this stuff and think through it, but as the institutional church, if a church doesn't practice holiness, you know, a church that, you know, they're supposed to fence the table, right? Uh, they're supposed to issue church discipline. Um, they're supposed to purge the evil from among themselves. This is what Paul said, right? As an ambassador of Christ, as an apostle of Christ, as one who speaks with the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ in his writings to the church, he says, purge the evil from among yourselves, right? Deal with sin in the camp. And we don't. Now, I don't know how many of you, like, I know, like, Mike is like, you know, you know, what churches we've been to and stuff like that. If you've ever been part of a church that refused to issue church discipline, they refused to do it um, because they didn't want to come across as mean. <laughs> they didn't want to come across as harsh, as unloving, as if they had a better understanding of what loving was compared to God <laughs> in his word. Um that's not understanding what love is. That's letting the world dictate to you what love is. You know, it's the, the tolerance. It's like the uh, accepting no matter what. Um, and God has shown his love by sending his son to die for sins and to provide forgiveness and to provide repentance. Um, and we think, but we don't want to tell anyone that they're in sin because that might hurt their feelings and they might leave. We'd rather they just sit here and, and maybe God will speak to them. Well, God has given us the church to speak to them we're you know we're the body of christ we're his hands and feet you know we proclaim the truth um and if the church fails to be holy the church is not going to be salt and light um we're going to lose our place and we have we see it um it corrupts the church within and if the church is corrupt within they see weakness and they're affected by it like we've seen that mm -hmm. say that again so, like, if there's a certain sin that's not dealt with, then right. all of a sudden it seems like that generation is okay with that particular sin. Right. We've seen it firsthand. Yes. Yes, we have. Um, so, when the Can church... Can you expand on that? Um, Careful. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Chris and I used to be a little more involved in, in youth ministry. Oh, we're sorry. Go ahead. Um... And uh, there was particular sin going on that most of the young people knew about. And um, the person, it, it was revealed. And then now hindsight, we've watched and we've watched these young people grow up to adults. And we've seen their reaction to this particular sin. And it's, there's nothing wrong with that. You guys are jerks. They don't view it as sin. Even unloving. Mm -hmm. How people. So, yes, instead of seeing it through the Bible, because it was not dealt with properly, because we just want to love this person and we want them to be comfortable here. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, we watched uh, 
one bad apple spoil the barrel, sort of? <laughs> yeah. If you don't deal with sin, um, a little leaven leavens the whole lump, right? Thank you. That's the <laughs> a little leaven. <laughs> That's the biblical answer, but it still works. Uh, you know, a little um, leaven leavens the whole lump. Right. Uh, so you know, we're told to purge the evil from amongst ourselves. It's a biblical command. It's from God Himself, and we don't do that, and sin corrupts the church. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm preaching on whitewashed tombs. <laughs> um, I remember that too. Man. Way back when. And I was saying that, you know, <laughs> looks pretty on the outside, but full of dead men's bones. <laughs> and when we don't deal with this, when we don't deal with sin, um, unbelievers get very comfortable in the church. Mm -hmm. And it becomes a social club. It's just a, a gathering place, a mm -hmm. motivational speeches and whatnot. And it's not about holiness. It's not about, you know, transforming society you know, um, advancing the kingdom of God, bringing him glory. It's just, let's all feel good about ourselves and say, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. And um, we end up just growing weak. You know, you're surrounded by unbelievers. You don't even know what true faith looks like anymore. What does it even look like to act like a Christian? And now you just look like, because everyone else is redefining the terms all around you. Um, this is losing your lampstand. You, you might have faithful Christians in a church, but the church itself has lost its ability to have an impact. Um, and this is judgment from God. This is sanctions from God. Um, it, it falls on um, the weight. It falls on the shoulders of, of the elders because they're responsible before God. Um, but it falls on the people as well because they're responsible. And just like we said in Leviticus, the priests... And the lady. Now, we believe in the priesthood of all believers, and we don't believe in that clergy-lady distinction anymore. Um, it's new covenant. We, we all reign with Christ, right? Um, but when Moses is giving the law from God, he's telling the entire congregation, priests and laymen, what's expected of each of them. They knew what everyone was responsible for. What they were responsible for, or what the other guy was responsible for. And they too were supposed to be a nation of priests. You know, Israel was supposed to be a, a nation of priests to the rest of the Gentile nations. Um, so they had priests within the priesthood, but still, they were aware they should have been responsible. What does this mean for us? Because we don't have priests anymore, right? We have the priests of all believers. We do see representation at times. We see, you know, those who are in leadership positions have more prominence at times and, and can have a greater impact on the rest of the body because people are looking to them and the church and society will look to them. But still, within the body, if they're not dealing with that, if we're seeing it, we have a responsibility to speak that truth, you know, um, to call people to repentance. Um, you know, it might be necessary to depart from that church if it's falling. Um, but we should be doing our part to um, to bring truth so that there might be repentance, that there might be revival, that there might be reformation, even in that local body, knowing the impact it's going to have on society as a whole. But if we're, as a church, not faithful, what would we expect from our society? Um, okay. Any questions about that? That's not okay. And I feel like I've said this in different ways <laughs> or similar ways. Um, so hopefully it's not new, but hopefully it's getting. Um, I the... do have a question. Shoot. Shoot. Um, 
When you say that Israel was supposed to be a nation of priests to the Gentiles, um, is, like, in what way, like, in what functions of a priest did they have to carry out? Um, is it the speaking of the truth, calling people to repentance, so that there will be revival? Is that, like... Yeah, I'm another... telling people of God's law, of God's ways. Um... You know, I mean, the entire nation was supposed to be a nation of priests. <laughs> um, when they sinned with the golden calf, <laughs> the Levites got the distinction of, well, who's on the Lord's side? <laughs> and the Levites were like, we are. <laughs> he goes, all right, kill. <laughs> you know, execute those who are, you know, falling into idolatry. And so the, the Levites were given the priesthood. And so um, not every Levite was a priest, but um, every priest was a Levite, right? Um but they still, they were still supposed to be salt and light to the nations. A, a priest is a servant, like David had priests, right? Um, servant, and they should be going out and telling people about God's law, God's ways. They were, they should have been proselytizing in that in a way. Uh, I mean, a priest is a mediator between God and man. And if you're a Gentile, and you don't know Yahweh, you don't know the covenant-keeping God. <laughs> you know, your neighbor, if you're uh, in close boundaries of of the, the nation's boundaries, you should be telling those people if you're engaged in trade. Keep in mind, Israel, through God's providence, it's this um, key piece of real estate that people are traveling back and forth through, um, right? They had many opportunities to um, to evangelize the Gentile nations around them uh, in trade and all those different things. So they should have been doing that. How much they were, you know, um, we know some of them were proselytizing. People were coming, and they and um, you know we mentioned about Solomon, and people would come from far distances to hear about his wisdom. Um, but Jesus, even when he's rebuking the Pharisees, he goes, you know, you go over land and sea to make a proselyte, and then you make him twice the son of hell as you are. So I mean, some of them were going out. There were people who were going and, and sharing the good news. <laughs> so is that how we are a royal priesthood? Is like we're supposed yeah, go as you go. So I mean, wherever we are, you know, we should be telling people about the Lord, you know, and using those opportunities. Would you add to that? Just make yeah. sure you're still awake over there. Okay. He's comfortable with the pillow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got the pillow. <laughs> but uh, no, it's uh, Israel was also. Offer sacrifice on behalf of the nation. Well, they were the ones that had, like you said, the oil was drunk. They also had the temple. Mm -hmm. And the nations from everywhere else all the right. to come. Right, yeah, the court of the Gentiles, right? right. People exactly. come and offer sacrifices. Right. right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Details, yeah. that's important details. <laughs> yeah. And we do the same thing, we represent the people to God and the God to the people. Telling them of the sacrifice of Christ, and that's their only hope for salvation. So they don't have to bring a bull anymore, a lamb, or a goat. God has provided the sacrifice. Um, but bringing them in and telling them, I mean, Jesus tells us to go out to the highways and the byways and to compel them uh, to come in to tell them of his ways. Um, and he is King of Kings. You know, we, we're his servants. You know, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul and others, like they're the, the bond servants, the bond slaves of Christ. 
you know, and, and we are his servants. Um, in fact, the more freedom we have, because, you know, when Paul's, you know, telling the, the people who were actual slaves, like, don't worry, you know, the, the slave is the Lord's free man. <laughs> like, he knows your obligations. He's not, you know, he, he expects you to, to be faithful to your role and, and not worry about it. He goes, the free man is the Lord's slave. <laughs> oh, you got all that time on your hands. Good. I got work for you to do. You know, go out, go out and serve. Um, so there's that. But, you know, we're not doing, I mean, we are doing that to an extent, obviously, as a church. Um, you know, we're, we're sharing the gospel with people. Um, we want to make sure that we're not sharing a truncated gospel, though. Like, God is just, you know, Jesus is just the, you know, king of your heart. You know, he's just your personal Lord and Savior. No, he's, he's king of kings. He has something to say to all of society. Um, and we need to make sure that we're sharing that. But again, if we're not um, holy, <laughs> um, we're inviting sanctions on ourselves. And then what hope do the unbelievers have? You know, um, if we're not salt and light, they turn and trample us and they get their own judgment. Uh, just like God would raise up a nation to judge Israel and then he'd punish that nation not because that they were doing the right thing. They were doing it for the wrong motivation, you know. Um, so uh, as we look at this next, let me see how much time we have here. Still got time. Okay. Um, the doorway... I'm like reading some of his summary statements and then some notes that either he had. In this case, it's, it's notes that he had that kind of go along with this. The doorway of the tabernacle temple was the place of God's judgment. Um, you know, if you remember when we're talking about the sacrifice, where is God um, instructing the priest to sprinkle the blood, right? You know, the veil leading into that inner sanctuary or, you know, at the, at the altar, um, the atoning sacrifice was killed at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Uh, this ritual barrier was a two-way barrier, keeping the polluting effects of the priest's sins contained inside the tabernacle until he could offer sacrifice, and containing the pollution of the people's sin outside the tabernacle so that God would not depart from the Holy of Holies. The doorway was a place of judgment, just as it, has, just as it had been on the night of the first Passover. Remember the Passover, where are they putting the blood? over their doorway that the angel would pass over and not bring judgment um you can also think of um we've talked about the the woman who was found to have lied about her virginity and found out and when it's proven that she was not pure she's brought to her father's doorstep his threshold and put to death there you know so she's bearing this uh, the penalty for her sin, for lying about her sin, and her father is also bearing his own judgment in a sense. She's responsible, but he also has a, a share of that responsibility. Um, but that doorway was a place of judgment. It was the barrier against God's sanctions, just as it had been night on, on the night of the first Passover. This threat of God's departure accentuated the importance of boundaries. These boundaries could not be violated with impunity. Keep in mind when we think of the sacrificial system, like you had to bring a sacrifice to be able to approach God. We're not clean. We're not holy. We need a sacrifice to cover us. 
Christ is that ultimate, you know, he is um, the ultimate sacrifice. He's the one who covers us. He makes it so that we can approach his throne of grace. We can come into the Holy of Holies. We can worship in the heavenly places and God accepts us because of Christ, um, right? But that, that barrier there. Um, the Mosaic Covenant sacrificial system announced that the integrity of the priests and the people regarding unintentional sins was of greater consequence in relation to God's negative covenant sanctions that then was the integrity of the civil authorities. Like we said over and over again at this point, the priest, you know, greater responsibility, greater sacrifice to demonstrate that. Um, and most people, they wouldn't acknowledge it today, but he says it's incumbent upon theologians, whether they be liberal or fundamentalists, who assert that there's no comparable relationship in the New Testament, uh, New Covenant, to prove their case from Scripture. So he's still talking about the importance of the church, um, you know, in the civil arena. You know, um, like we said, God, God, judgment begins at the house of God, and and the impact it's going to have on the nation if if the church is dead, you know, if it's lost its salt and light, um, the rest of the church is, uh, the rest of the the surrounding nation is going to suffer. Um, he said the biblical concept of corporate responsibility embedded in the purification sacrifices has extensive implications for political theory, which in turn affects economic theory. Later in this commentary, I'll begin to draw out the positive implications of Leviticus for biblical political economy. That's just something to look forward to much, much, much later on. That's at the rate we're going. Um, one of the things that he talked about in this chapter, and it's in a really long chapter, and I feel like I'm going to try to do a survey more. Uh, and I'm this, this I'm only going to touch on um, lightly. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Enlightenment uh, and you know the Enlightenment area, the, the age of reason, um, people trying to use logic and reason, and and they're coming to an understanding using God's world, using the intellect he gives us to see, you know, as Lawrence had talked about, like, you know, splinters of truth, whether it be in other myths or, you know, in, in humanist thinking about the world around them um, and, and using logic and reason. Um, there are splinters of truth there, but they have denied the God who has given them that truth. And they've set themselves up as the highest authority. There is no higher authority to appeal to you know it, it ends with the state or it ends with the people um but there's no god in heaven who's going to issue sanctions um he says the uh, the enlightenment is morally atomistic um like they, <laughs> they're just it's broken off into little atoms individuals there's <laughs> no idea of the of the corporate there was yeah I don't know how much I want to get into this. Um, he says, modern Protestants, and this is what we have to be aware of. He said, um, we share many of the Enlightenment's views. Um, we, we hold to contractualism uh, and replace covenantalism. The idea of contractualism is that the parties have to be mutually agreed, right? Agree, uh, agreement among equals um, to establish power, to establish... You know the the civil arena the political arena um we have to agree right there's no talk of god his laws his ways his standards it's just among man uh among mankind and just like today there's a, a right wing to it and a left wing to it um 
and most of us probably fall on the right wing side <laughs> and we argue the way the right wing would argue um and because of this does a fish know it's wet <laughs> you know we use arguments that have been used time and again stuff that we've heard you know on the news pick whichever news radio or news tv you like um and you argue from their talking points and we don't argue politics from scripture and i've seen christians do this time and time and time again that's why we can so enthusiastically um argue for trump i say we <laughs> well i'm just not gonna get that um this, this is this is um falling into that trap and that's not to say oh and I, I i even recognize that when people you know i didn't vote for trump the first time <laughs> you know i was like no we can't vote for any of these people um and then recognizing the churches and recognize this so <laughs> you know trump might be better than biden but, but again pick your poison pick your punishment pick your pick your judgment um but we're arguing the way the world argues we're arguing not from a biblical perspective. Otherwise, we'd recognize all of these people are, are absolutely wicked. No one is giving honor and glory to God. Uh, and if we keep doing the same old thing, we're just going to get progressively worse evils to choose from, right? Um, it's kind of like in California, but the current um, vote is going to be between Bruce Jenner mm -hmm. and the Democratic candidate. I don't remember who right. that is. Yeah. And it's like these Republicans... They might, you know, they might be conservative, but they might think, oh, well, Bruce Jenner, he's a better option he's than the Democrats. Bruce Jenner, who many of you probably know by now is Caitlin, they think that he's the better choice than the Democrat. Like, God is just kind of laughing at us at Wait, this point. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Yep. yeah. He's running as yeah. a Republican. You should on cross politics there. Yeah, saying like, this is a joke, and we're supposed to laugh, and these people are taking it seriously. He goes, so you have to laugh all of them off the stage. You know, the Republicans who, you know, we would side with on so many issues, but not all if you're looking at things through Scripture, they just show, like, they have no standard <laughs> they have no conviction it's about fighting for power and doing whatever they can to hold on to the little bit that they have i mean it's been pointed out in in california the way they have like gerrymandered the districts no republican <laughs> can run and win any office anywhere in, in that state because of the way they've worked it out um it's just a democratic state through and through um but that's what you're willing to put up someone who doesn't even acknowledge basic biology and we'll say we'll go with that <laughs> you know we'll go with that whatever it takes to beat the democrats we've 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 collectively lost our minds um but that's that's exactly it so we fall on the wrong side of of, of this thing by when we try to argue through the enlightenment you know as it's just like the politics is just us and them right it's it's this political party or that political party and, and we don't give any thought to god any thought of what he can do um as a church and we, and we discussed this uh last time it was brought up like well what do we do as a church <laughs> well first of all <laughs> 
we start needing to be holy, right? If our church needs to repent, we need to repent. We need to take worship seriously. We need to take prayer seriously. We need to recognize that God is calling us to holiness. And if that means that we'll get persecution because we're sticking out like a sore thumb, so be it. God loves to work through that and bring his glory, right? Um, the blood of the saints is the seedbed of the church. Um, when a nation starts to persecute the church, God brings judgment on that nation. Um, fill up then, you know, your, the wrath, right? Fill up that cup of, of blood, and then it'll be poured out on you. So uh, we saw this happen to Israel, to Jerusalem, you know, for all the righteous from Abel to Zechariah. You know, what does Jesus tell the saints under the altar? Wait a little bit for the number to be completed, right? And then judgment comes. And so we're seeing in Canada, we're seeing people... What are they doing? Are they changing the the political atmosphere? Right now they're just gathering for worship, and it's enough, right? They're being persecuted for it. They're being mocked for it. They're being slandered for it, and God is being glorified through it. And so that's what we're called to do. We're called to worship. We're, that's, that's our spiritual warfare. We don't bear the sword. God can do anything he wants on his own. He can remove the wicked on his own. Um, He'll do things in his time. We're called to be faithful. We should be speaking about these things. God has something to say about what the nations are doing. God has something to say about what our political leaders are doing. We should be praying for them, write letters, all that stuff. We should not tell our children that politics is dirty and irredeemable, you know, unredeemable and don't get involved in it. We should be speaking at the local level and looking to eventually raise up leaders who can replace uh, the wicked. Um we have to understand that God does bring sanctions in history. Um, he's doing it now. <laughs> he's done it many times before, and he'll continue to do it in the future. The humanists would reject final sanctions. The politics, they talk about the consequences of their actions, but they don't speak of a holy God finding fault with both parties, right? You know, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees disagreed about different things, and Jesus said, you're both messed up you know <laughs> one might have some right here and some right there but you're both uh, corrupt as the day is long and judgment was coming on them for rejecting christ and, and god's true word both right-wing and left-wing enlightenment social theory reject the idea of god as a party to civil oaths so there's no covenant um we, we forget that god is part of everything that we're supposed to be doing um Rejected biblical covenantals, uh, covenantalism's doctrine of responsibility, uh, individual and corporate moral responsibility under a sovereign personal God who establishes fixed moral standards, boundaries, and who brings sanctions in history, blessings and curses in terms of these standards. Uh, in short, the Enlightenment rejected Moses both as historian and lawgiver. Modern evangelical Christian social theory rejects the continuing authority of Mosaic civil law. Uh, thus, evangelicals have adopted Enlightenment social theory baptizing it that's where we're at when people get all up in arms because you drop the word theonomy you know what law would you would you prefer would you prefer man's law would you prefer no guidance just do whatever you want to do i mean we have seen god bless when when nations have followed his laws right when the puritans came over here and established things um there was blessings right and the further we've gone away from God's law, the more corrupt a nation we've become. Um, we're falling apart. We're, 
We're driven by fear. We will do anything the government tells us if they promise us it's going to be okay. Right? If they promise us they'll fix it. If they promise us they'll send a check to our our checking account. Right? That we'll do whatever they whatever they want. Um, um, and so they have no concern about sin in public, sin in private. They celebrate it. Um, there's no appeal to a higher authority in the state. Did I see a hand? No. Um, enlightenment political theory does not admit the possibility of a, a meaningful appeal to a th authority higher than the state. You know, no one's looking to God to deliver us from our problems. No one's looking to His law to give us understanding on whether what our problems are and how they can be resolved. Um, that's the modern humanists, people who believe in the innate goodness of man, if you just educate them right. And how's that been working out for us? 12 years of public mandatory education now, and we're kind of a mess. Well, let's add four more years, two on each end, and surely that will work it out. It's not. Um, we still have a hatred for each other. Um, we have a hatred for God, and things are getting worse and not better. Um, that's how the humanists argue. It's not how Christians should argue. It's not how the church should proclaim truth to a nation. Uh, he says, without the doctrine of God's predictable, predictable, <laughs> he's told us what he expects, <laughs> um, right? <laughs> he, oh man, he's told you what's expected of you, right? Uh, do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Um, and when you don't do that, when we don't follow God's law, there are sanctions. He says, without a doctrine of these predictable historical sanctions, it is impossible to establish a case for Christian social theory, identifying a biblical locus of institutional sovereignty. Um, and so that was one of his closing remarks as far as a summary. And just the, uh, the relationship, well, I'll leave that. I'm talking about the church. The church and the nation as opposed to the civil arena and the nation. So that kind of summarizes basically <laughs> the end of chapter four. I can't believe it. <laughs> Question, comment? You have been listening to the Reformed Rookie Podcast, where we aim to teach Reformed theology to beginners or rookies. Be sure to look us up on the web at www.reformedrookie.com, where you will find many more learning tools and aids to help you grow in your understanding of all things Reformed. And remember, Semper Reformanda. Dr. Luther, are you prepared to retract these writings? In some, I discuss faith and good works. If I were to retract these, I should be denying accepted Christian truths. Martin Luther, you have not yet answered the question. Will you recant, or will you not? Here it is. I am bound to my beliefs by the texts of the Bible. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and I will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me.